Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What's up, everyone? Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. I'm here with my dude, Eris Pina, CompuBox operator and fellow Fight History File. Happy 420. And we got a special 420 episode. Happy 420, Eris. Happy 420, my friend. <laughs> Man, so we're here talking about fighters who got cooked and absolutely tested positive or admitted to messing with that Mary Jane, dude. <laughs> Stigma in boxing for many, many years, man. And for whatever reason, it's one of those, um, obviously not a drug, but something that carried a lot of weight and a lot of controversy. And up until recently, the past few years, um, if you tested positive for it, if you got busted for it, it carried a lot of fines and disciplines. So, you know, it's actually pretty, pretty interesting from like, a, you know, more than being a stoner perspective, Florida just recently, uh, officially their state athletic commission said we're not going to penalize people for testing positive for cannabis and i mean that's probably going to be a domino effect although florida is not like a super influential athletic commission like mm. say new york or nevada per se even so that's pretty interesting and a good thing that they're going to stop viewing marijuana as a performance enhancing drug for crying out loud dude you know yeah, man. I mean, come on. If anything, it's not a performance enhancer, like ever. Even if you smoke a sativa or whatever, it's just not going to do it for you. Yeah, it's just not really that kind of thing, generally speaking. I no, mean, although it's I, I have really not, and I mean, that's always just kind of held a stigma, and that's the thing that's more or less than what it's the main crux of it is that it's always kind of held a stigma that it's been in line in the it's, up until recently, it was looked upon the same way. If you got busted for it, they well, they labeled it the same as if you got busted for cocaine or any other like you know hardcore drug. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to how it was treated in but, years I mean, past. Well, yeah, but. for sure. But uh, but that being said, dude, you know, I I do have to say, um, there are a handful of like mixed martial artists, for instance, who have talked about smoking weed before training and saying that it enhances their ability or makes them feel more, I guess, in the moment, cosmic, whatever the hell you want to call it. Like I know the Diaz brothers have talked about it a lot. So I mean, take it for what it is. You know what I mean? I guess if you're a stoner, you're a stoner and it's going to be like any activity, any activity you do, you're going to be like smoking weed and you're going to claim that the weed makes it better or makes you better when you do it. It's pretty much just the well, name yeah, of the you game. have it in MMA, you have it in wrestling, uh, you know, the rest of the you're familiar with Rob Van Dam, right? Yeah. Yeah. RVD, Mr. 420, like everything they always talked about. That's all he was ever talking about. He always looked like he was high on television, whether he actually was or not during the matches. But I mean, that was like his whole gimmick. And since yeah. he's retired from the ring, still heavily involved in all that. Uh, the Godfather, another one. You remember the Godfather, right? Yep, totally. Totally. Still, same today. If you go on his IG page, his whole page is about him promoting different weed products. A lot of people have gotten involved with it. Yeah, and that's something that an, uh, a number of fighters and a few fighters that we'll probably mention today 
have started doing is getting behind cannabis and also CBD products that are, you know, ever since it's become culturally more acceptable and also legally more acceptable. So who's a fighter that either, you know, tested positive or admitted to smoking? Who's one that you'd like to talk about or you'd like to mention real quick? I mean, the first one you got to bring up, obviously, is uh, Mike Tyson, probably, you know, for now. I'm not talking about during his career, but since, you know, how much of a pro, uh, proponent he's been uh, since his career ended and what it's talked about, how he's helped him and everything like that, you have to mention, you know, you got to bring up Iron Mike. So as, you know, something of a uh, connoisseur of the cannabis myself, I got to step in and say, dude, when that shit hit the headlines, whatever it was like a year ago, they were talking about they spent 40 grand a month on weed, just smoking weed at his member. You remember, I know you might not remember because I, I know that you might not remember, but, but I'm saying we talked about it when it happened. We shared the article and shit because they were talking about his team spends 40 grand a month just on the herb that they smoke. And I was like, dude, it's crazy. How big is the fucking team is the question. Like, what the fuck? I don't know, man. I can't even imagine. I don't even want to think about that. That's that's absurd. And that might just been a number that they throw out to get headlines out there because it's kind of hard to believe. Even the most hardcore of hardcore smokers, whoever that may be, Snoop Dogg, I guess, or some other people at that level. But still, that's just, that's, 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 that's crazy. I mean, dude, like I'm talking about, let's say there's 10 people on his team. Okay. That's four grand a month per, per that every person is smoking, which is like a, at least a pound. You know, I mean, that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Although I have heard a fool smoking, you know, like blunt after blunt after blunt after blunt a day or being like, oh, I smoke like 37 blunts a day or some shit. And I'm like, wow, that's that's <laughs> a lot of weed. But I don't know. Guess it's possible. I don't know, man. It's insane. It's insane. But for whatever it is, Mike Tyson has been his most peaceful and content in his life these past few years than he's ever really been. He's admitted as much as so. You know, you can yeah. you can basically see that over yeah, he's definitely uh, become more than just a smoker. He's like an advocate. He's somebody who... Yeah, very much so. Yeah, speaks about cannabis in, in terms of its uh, healing properties and medicinal properties and also uh, positive mood-altering or potential mm -hmm. for positive mood-altering properties. But you do see it in Tyson, too, the way he just, like... No one would have predicted um, in the 80s, in the 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, even the mid-2000s that Tyson would have ended up the way he's been today, man. He's made a whole turn. I'm not going to say he can't, you know, weed has been the entire reason why he's done a complete 360. Like, you know, there's other things involved, obviously, but, you know, Mike has made an incredible comeback in terms of life and just in terms of life and just outlook and positivity and where he's at mentally and everything. And it's, you know, it's something to be said. So whatever yeah. he's out there promoting and saying what helped him recover, then, you know, kudos to him for that because, that's something that no one ever would have thought that would have been possible at one point at all. Yeah, for sure. He's become kind of like a beloved character, um, which I mean, he has been throughout his career, but for different reasons. Exactly. Before it was the dude walking the white tiger around, like, you know, in like basically the skivvies, but mm -hmm. like was yoked as shit and just scary looking and badass. And he was just, you know, in the in the mid eighties when he was first coming up and just knocking out, yeah. um, scared, petrified, you know, it's absolutely terrifying, terrifying, you know, journeyman up in um, upstate New York, 
before he came down to Vegas and started, you know, conducting nuclear tests on the poor eighties heavyweight retreads. Like, <laughs> um, you know, it was that people loved Mike Tyson for that. You yeah. know what I mean? And then people gravitated to Mike Tyson in the nineties because of, they just wanted to follow him because the nineties were all about, all about car wrecks, train, you know, train wrecks, just yep. crash test dummy. What you see on television, the trashiest of the trash, Jerry Springer, WWE going absolutely ape shit and going in that style. Everything was to the extreme. Mike Tyson personified that biting Yvonne to Holyfield's ear, trying to break frame both frames, both his arm, um, the outside of the ring skirmishes, what he would do to reporters, anything like that. He was must-see television because he fit right in with that era. But now, like you said, you look at this era now, and Mike Tyson's just like your lovable old uncle or something. Like he's just the yeah. guy you want to be around. He's happy, he's joking all the time. He's on different films. He's in when he's interviewed, he's very calm and good. He's very jovial and like engaging with everyone. And he's happy where he's at in life. He's at with his podcast and everything that he's doing. Tyson's very content. Yeah, even if even if some of or all of his kind of, you know, uh, rehabilitation has mm -hmm. been kind of contrived or monetized or whatever. Even so, the fact that he's been able to kind of go positive, you know, the fact that he's been able to not, I guess, not totally positive. He does talk some shit and stuff like that on his podcast. You know, I've heard him. But for the most part, you know, at least as far as his life and keeping it positive and not like getting into a bunch of confrontations and talking mad shit or aggressive shit or whatever, you know, he, he's definitely a different version of himself. Like I said, even if it is somewhat like fake, mm -hmm. good for him, dude, because he's obviously a different person, at least on some level. Totally, totally. And I love that about Mike. You know, Mike has always been one of my favorite fighters because I grew up in the era like you did in the era of like the or of Mike Tyson from the punch out video game to just seeing him on television to everything like that. You, you just grew up with him. So Mike has always been one of my favorites. I've always been rooting for Mike, even at his lowest. And I'm glad to see where he's at today. Totally. No question. Look, dude, another dude that I got to talk about just because he's a fun guy to talk about. And also, you know, it's not really exactly surprising that he might partake every so often because he's got that. He always had that wild style. Unfortunately, he's deceased now because he's a he's a guy who, you know, should be out there still celebrating his great career. But needless to say, that would be Mr. Hector Macho Camacho. And uh, in 1986, the Louis Burke fight, he tested positive for a substance that they wouldn't really go into detail on, but treat it as if it was marijuana. So I'm just going to go ahead and suspect that that's marijuana because that's just what happens when you're a stoner is you get into conspiracy theories, start thinking everything's crazy. No, I'm just kidding. It probably was her though. <laughs> he was the macho man. <laughs> hey mean, man. Considering did some, he did some partying in the 80s. Did, yeah. Can, uh, considering what else he, he, um, he dabbled in in the eighties, nineties going on, you know, the other endeavors that he got into where he got in trouble, like, you know, having sex while driving, um, getting busted with guns, other cocaine, other stuff like that. Like he, he lived the, he lived the macho man lifestyle to a T and, but he was entertaining for it too in the ring. Like he just, you know, another guy that you just always followed around. And even during his most like, you know, in, in the 90s and early two, like the, in the, during the 90s when he like really petted out in his career besides like the Delahoya fight and the Sugar Ray Leonard and Duran fights or whatever, like his career was more or less just kind of middling. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a lot going on with him and no one really took him seriously at that point. But 
you still watched him. He still commanded a lot of television time and respect when he was on Tuesday Night Fights or ESPN. And then when he started appearing in dual fights with, um, you know, on the same card with Camacho Jr. when he was first coming up. Like, Camacho always had, you know, a following with him. He was a fascinating guy. He was a showman. I mean, that's obvious. That was always obvious. He always had some sort of outfit, or if he wasn't if he wasn't rocking some sort of crazy out... Well, he pretty much was always rocking some sort of crazy outfit. Okay, question, but I don't mean to cut you off. What was Go your ahead. favorite Camacho outfit? Um, I mean, as, as culturally inappropriate as it was, I just Native thought... American one? Yes, oh. it was, that shit was just sharp. That was a nice one. That was a good one. Yeah, it, it just, I liked the color of it, and it was just sharp. That's all. Like, I don't mean, I know that it obviously was not. Totally. Right. But that shit was a really good outfit. Um, He always, I mean, even if he didn't have an outfit, though, he always had, like, even if he was just rocking trunks, they were always, like, bedazzled. They were always, you know, they had some shit going on with them that was... He, he always wore the flappies, you know, he kind of yeah, helped yeah. popularize that. Um, I think my favorite would be um, the one he actually, I think it was for the first Haugen fight, where he came in like in the camouflage with the with the helmet that said macho blazing across it, and he wore the, the fatigues and everything like that. Yeah. I don't know, because he looked like a G.I. Joe figure, and it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, he had a couple of good ones, dude. He he was perhaps second. Roman Gladiator, I think he came in just wearing all the different belts he had at one point. Yep, and he had the the Roman helmet type of thing. Yeah, yeah. That one time. And then, uh, yeah, I I would have to say, I mean, just just because Jorge Paez just went more out there, Camacho was just only second to Paez. Paez would just be like, a fucking nun? A wedding dress? (laughs) I remember that. What? holy shit i love I mean, him Baez was another one that i loved as a kid because i didn't even really know much about him but i saw him on tv a couple of times and just with the hair and the bedazzled trunks you just <laughs> knew you just knew he was wild you're like oh snap that's cool yeah or if you were if you were a politician and you needed some advertising just have him shave it into the back of his head he'd do it yeah, yeah, he, yeah totally. he literally did that one time dude was yeah he was wild but anyway hector camacho, camacho uh camacho had one of the best um i'll tell you too one other thing that i loved about like before everything really took over all the excess and everything like that and um so this was the jose and luis ramirez fight arguably camacho's best performance right and this is why the public loved Camacho even though you know there's a lot of people that ended up hating him and other stuff like he was polarizing either you know you loved him hated him or you loved him but for the Camacho for um, the Jose Luis Ramirez fight and Camacho comes out to ain't no stopping us now by um uh, um McFadden and Whitehead McFadden and Whitehead ain't no you know obviously this is one of the greatest of all time of course totally so Camacho's coming out, you know what I mean? He has the hood on and everything like that, I think, with the Puerto Rican flag, and he comes into the ring, and he ripped, he, tear, he goes off, and he goes into a whole jig to dancing in the middle of the ring, and Barry Tompkins and Leonard and everyone, they absolutely love it. You hear Tompkins start laughing, and he's like, ah, that's the macho man. He can, Camacho looks like he's at Studio 54. It's amazing. And he's just like, you can still tell he's, a, he's still a kid, but like, He's just in the ring about to do his business. There's no worries on him and all that. And he's just enjoying himself and he's enjoying life. And it was awesome to see, you know? Yeah, dude. It's it's just uh, he had that kind of energy that, like, you just can't – you can't replicate. You can't. Absolutely not, man. And Camacho was an absolute dynamo in his prime, dude. Like, 
if you only remember Camacho as when we came up as kids and as fans for what he did in the 90s and kind of, you know, being safety first, yep. then just go back on YouTube. It's all there. Find out what he was doing in the early 80s, early to mid 80s before he fought Edwin Rosario, a completely different fighter and one of the most incredible blends of speed and power you'd ever see. Yeah, definitely more overwhelming as a fighter. Yeah. He just became more of a peck, peck move. People were almost move. comparing him to like, you know, old timers <laughs> from that era that were around from that time period. We're almost comparing him to Robinson in like, you know, terms of skill and blends and all that, at, you know. Well, his like, hand speed was pretty unreal. Dude, what he did to Bazooka Lamone was criminal. All right. That was like, should have been arrested for assault. Poor Lamone had no idea what the hell happened to him, man. He just saw a whirlpin of just like 15,000 things going around his head and the guy's just eyes like a cartoon character. You know, he didn't know what the hell happened to him. No one had ever seen anything like that at that point. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, he went out the way he did, but I suppose that if you, you know, well, you could read the book Macho Time and just kind of follow along, follow along there, but I mean, it 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 was almost kind of like the only way that it could end for him, unfortunately. At that point, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing to add to that, man. I was, <laughs> I used to date this girl that was a writer, um, excuse me, from way back in the day. And um, she was asked at one point to interview Camacho because Camacho, one of Camacho's last gigs was going to be on a reality show trying to find true love. And I think they were trying to not only have my girl at the time write about it but they wanted her to be like like an a person on the show going on a date with camacho i think that's what they were trying to like weasel it into like though we want you to meet hector and we want you to do that so that's what she was telling me she was like oh yeah they want me to meet him and they want me to talk you know go out go to dinner with him i was like wait what i was like you know you're probably gonna be on the show right and she was like oh you think so wowza and I ended up watching one of the episodes. It was actually pretty hilarious. Even it was totally staged, probably. But like Camacho would be at dinner. He was having, you know, with an, um, he had a, a dating coach with him, trying to tell him not to be stupid and act like the macho man. And at first, he'd be on his best behavior. But then, like twenty minutes in, he starts acting wild and starts throwing food in his mouth. And the girl is getting all weird and disgusted. And you see Camacho's dating coach shaking his head and putting his hands down like that. Oh man, <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, it was good. I didn't, I didn't know that you had personal, you know, potential personal involvement in that one. Thank goodness. <laughs> there was no... But that was unfortunately right before his death. Yeah. Oh man. Well, rest in peace, sir. I could have, I almost had a confrontation with the macho man. I could have. Oh, terrible. I, I don't let know, man. Blow. I was going, I ain't going to throw blows with Camacho. You kidding me? Nah. Yeah. Even washed macho man, dude. I'm sorry, but I got to put, I got to put all my, dude, he would have five piece me, but I don't even know what happened. Well, that, you know what I'm saying? Nah, I'm cool. Yeah, I got to put all my weed money even on the washed macho man, man. Sorry. All good. So who's a, who's another boxing stoner? Well, I mean, we were just talking about him recently when I was showing you, uh, I sent you a video that was, uh, I got posted up on YouTube. Um, Greg Haugen. Greg Haugen against Hector Camacho. Yep. And <laughs> he got busted. It was after their first fight, correct? Yeah, dude, that was uh, 1991. And it was, yeah, there was, it was their first fight. And that's when, like, well, so he got busted. And then what you had sent me the other day, was it our boy Jay Seklow? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, dude, our our YouTube Fight Connect, um, Seklow, Seklow. They did the whole pre-fight segment for their rematch 
was about how Hagen was, you know, he's like staring off into the sunset and it's like, you know, this dissolve the, on like a beach and shit like that. And he's like, God, I've ruined my life. And I have to apologize to all the people I've done wrong. And they're like, Greg Haugen has done drugs. He yeah. participated in smoking marijuana. It's like, wow, they make it this yeah, big thing. Like it's a fucking everything. Yeah, it was, it was great, dude. It was really great. It was basically like watching the 1991 version of what what is it the the movie yeah uh, you know could be you the one from yeah, the 1930s yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. <laughs> fucking reefer madness bad but like they did a whole well I mean HBO always did incredible pre fight pieces so I mean that was this was obviously well done yeah uh, it was well produced it for was sure just, it was yeah very well produced but it was just they made Halgan seem like yeah, just know, over the top way over the top like something you would be showing school children all across the country. And um, Haugen was one of those guys, look, man, he came from the, he came from Alaska um, in the tough man circuit. One of two people who ever really made it out of the tough man circuit and like had success, him and Tommy Morrison. So he already, he was like, you know, comes from a rough background. He's like a guy that even though he's more mellow than a guy like Camacho or, you know, Vinny Pazienz or Ilder Ilk, but like, He's still kind of a wild child in himself too and prone to maybe you know doing outside activities or whatever it is so i mean it wasn't surprising that a guy like haugen was probably smoking weed because even during the thing um during the pre-fight special when they were talking about it he even mentions you know oh i didn't think it was a big deal it's something i've been doing for the past decade i just kind of you know never really thought much about it was able to pass whatever test i had to go through yada 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 and <clears throat> So the way he like, you know, you, you can still see he's almost like when he's being interviewed about it, like he's saying, yeah, I feel bad. I let my fans down. I let my friends down, family, everybody, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to work better at it. But you can still almost see like a little bit in his face, like this is ridiculous. Yeah. Because he, yeah slightly if you can still you can still almost tell like there's a little like hint of it just kind of like there's I'm probably saying, i'm saying yeah. this just to say it but at the same time i'm like what's what's going on here there's probably like a producer just off screen going like okay hold on hey hold on cut yeah greg that was great but we need we need a little more like contrition okay like i'm sorry but like we need you to act a little bit more like you really did something wrong and he's like what like i already it's already been taken care of what are you talking about i know but like we really got to go with this angle like i could see some shit like that because he's like because i mean he's saying and he was like I let people down like, he's just like yeah he's like yeah i let people down I let my friends family down you know i'm gonna have to I'll work next time i'll you know think better about it i'm seeing people to talk about this now and... i'm gonna go smoke a bowl to feel better about it. yeah like <laughs> you know and he ended up giving Camacho hell too. Who knows what Camacho was doing before that fight? Yeah, no shit, dude. I mean, Coke is out of your system in like a day and a half or some shit, bro. Like, Something I mean, like that, yeah. So, God I mean, you know, Camacho, I think, yeah, like, who knows what was going on? It was the early 90s, man. Everybody was worldly. It was having fun at that point. So, it's, it's interesting. But, yeah, that was the whole pre-fight special was kind of based around that whole thing and yeah, dude for all we know camacho was fucking chopping up sharpies and and snorting sharpies <laughs> i mean camacho for all we know yeah camacho was definitely doing a lot of extracurricular activities at that point in his career you know this was 1991 this wasn't the macho man of 84 yeah, i'm just saying yeah all right even 86 all right 
by the late 80s, early 90s, even though he was still undefeated, somehow everybody had just kind of given up on him to the point of like thinking he was, he was becoming more Broner-ish at that point. More, much more talented than Broner. But, you know, if you see all the, all the stupidity that Broner's been into and all that stuff and people were just like, you know what, he's back. He's, he's more, he's taking his you know, outside the ring activities more serious than he's what he ever he's trying to do in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amacho was still putting on better performances, but he was kind well, of in the same. That became part of the narrative. Like almost every fight that was part of the conversation. Like, so like, are, so are you focused this time? You know, like, are you, and then have he you would stayed come in, in and training? Do enough to win. Like he'd win a fight like against Pazienza or against um, uh, Tony Baltazar, which the greatest hair doozy you'd ever seen in the ring. Ray Mancini, but like same thing. And so Greg Haugen was the finally a guy that was able to beat him. Haugen got in his head. Haugen was able to dog him. He outboxed him a little bit. Haugen, same thing, like I said, because he's a street dude himself. Haugen was able to out talk, shit talk him too, and like really get under his skin where Camacho was able to loot, um, lost a point. And then in the rematch, even though Camacho beat him, Haugen still got under his skin. Like Haugen just was one of those dudes that was able to mess with you, man. He was a tough, tough dude. Yeah. He just made he he unfortunately gets remembered for making the bad mistake of pissing off Julio Cesar Chavez in front yeah. of over a hundred thousand of his loyal fan base, right in his home. Yeah, man. Oh. Yeah, went into the gym and and talked shit as as the story goes, talked shit as Chavez was sparring and said, "All you ever done was beat a bunch of Mexican cab drivers," and that somehow got yeah. translated to Chavez and was like, "Game over, buddy. Bad news, bears." <laughs> Bro, Chavez beat the shit out of him, too. Oh, he, man. like, it was bad, man. Haugen's a tough dude, but Chavez beat whatever whatever part of his contender Haugen was left was knocked out of him that night. Yeah, in front of a whole lot of people. That was clearly calling for his head. <laughs> yeah, like, if, you... Haugen, if Haugen had landed, like, for instance, if Haugen had landed a low blow or, like, you know, did an unintentional headbutt that somehow cut Chavez, that would have been it. That. yeah dude he would have done him like he almost did ray torres yeah but not i'm not even talking chavez i'm talking the whole audience right there man the whole place would have erupted and just came down and cascaded on him and you know though who knows what would happen to the showtime crew let alone what would happen to Halgen. imagine ferdy pacheco trying to get out of that <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> riot jesus should have been haggler mentor all over would have been throwing blows at people um yeah haggler mentor all over dude Shit would have been awful so here's a here's another pretty good one. Uh, he's a pretty fun fighter to talk about in general, and I think he probably had a somewhat underrated career, both in terms of entertainment value and in terms of accomplishments. Even if he wasn't, you know, all time great status, even so, Yoel Casamayor, <laughs> and Yoel, it was at the end of his career. You know, old man Yoel Casamayor, when he's got the gray beard, test positive after losing to Juan Manuel Marquez. And I mean, dude, it's it it didn't really affect anything because you know he got high and then got knocked out. Um, but I mean, you know, old man Casamayor, dude, the guy has such a fascinating story, uh, and he just happens to be one of the more accomplished, defected uh, Cuban fighters there is. And I mean, he was a pretty good fighter. Uh, he defects. Not, I think it was right before the 1996 Olympics he defected. And yeah, I mean, like from there he turned pro and just, I mean, it, what was it? Prominently on television early on too. Not prominently, he was. but he, was, he would see him a lot on undercard fights. 
I should have like, I should have looked like this up, but stuff, but like yeah, I should have looked this up. But wasn't he one of the two fighters who left to go get a snack and then just like bounced? You might be correct. I'd have to look that up myself. Yeah, I should have looked this up. I don't know why I didn't, but I'm pretty sure he it was him and like a heavyweight, and they were just like, yeah, we're gonna go get something to eat, and then they just like left. Was it Garbay? I think it might have been. Probably. I didn't, well, Our in any was case, around that same, was around that same time, so it could. In been. any case, we're we're not stoner swearing to that shit. We're just saying that we believe that might be the case. But you all cast me, or you know, he had a uh, three pretty memorable fights with Chico Corrales. You know, um, I think one of the first times that I really took notice of him, even though it wasn't the first time I saw him, it was just one of the first times that I was really like, oh, okay was when he actually outpunched Asalino Freitas in their fight. And I was like, I thought that Casemiro should have won that fight. You know, that was one of those, we talked about the Leonard Hearns when in uh, respect to Spence Crawford and the role reversals and stuff like that. That was one of those role re- reversal fights where everybody expected Asalino Freitas to come in and be the puncher. Right. And he wound up like backtracking for much of the fight. Yeah, man, that was one of those fights I was really, really excited about because of the possibility of Freitas coming in with his unorthodox style and going for broke and Casamayor, even though he was a slick fighter and knew how to box, but he wasn't afraid to engage himself. You, you knew fireworks weren't soon. No, it wasn't. Freitas, um, um, like you just said, showed a new layer to his game when he basically tried to, you know, bounce off the, I wouldn't say the back foot, but he did. He took the role of boxer. Casamayor, who was more... Even though he was aggressive, he was more comfortable, you know, counter-punching and being aggressive. Had to be the aggressor. And I can tell he was a little taken aback by that. He had to adjust after a few rounds. And um, it was a close fight. Like most cast. It was a close fight, yeah. It was a very close fight. I haven't watched it in years, but I do remember thinking that, like, Freitas might have edged it. But it was one of those fights that was arguable it could have gone either way. Yeah, it was a close fight. And it was, I don't want to say it was controversial, yeah, I want to say because that's one of those things where it's, it's like it's a, that's a word that's been, that's always used with Casamayor fights, and yeah, some of them are justified. True. And I don't think it was justified for this fight. It was a close. Yeah, fight. I don't think it was. It was, it was arguable. Let's say that. Like yeah. it was. It was debatable. Whatever you you know, it was not controversial. Like it was like, oh no, you exactly. Know? Because that's when people start throwing around the R word, start saying robbed, got robbed, and there was no there was no robbery, no wow. question. But it was a it was a good fight, and that was one of the times where I really took notice of Yoel Casamayor. And from there, you know, he had a very memorable career, dude. And not only that, what the thing I love and respect about Casamayor is that he didn't duck anybody, and he was one of the few guys who was a high level, always at the top of the division, like in terms of ranking and credibility, whatever it is. High but, level, I got you. I'm just <laughs> um, but he. For, for his sake, one thing I always respected, he never, he always looked for the toughest challenges. When it came to like top contenders, like young contenders who didn't really have, who are like more dangerous and, you know, much more high risk than reward. So like, for instance, like Casemiro would go for like a boot tennis today. Like he wouldn't just wait, be like, oh yeah, I got to wait for this him to get a title and then let it marinate. Why would I fight him right now? No. Yeah. Like he, he fought Nate Campbell. Exactly. He fought Nate Campbell right after Campbell had decimated um, Daniel Alisea on, on pay-per-view. He decapitated Alisea. That was like really impressive. People were just like, who the hell is this guy? And right yeah. away, he fought Casamayor on Boxing After Dark. Yeah, then they had, were like making fun of his nickname, I remember. Totally, yeah. And then the you Galaxy had Galaxy Warrior. Diamond. Then you had Kid Diamond, 
who at that point was bludgeoning everyone that he was fighting at that point. And then you had Casamayor fighting on the undercard of, um, I think it was uh, Cotto, um against the guy that beat him in the Olympics. So, uh, Pinto? No, the, uh, or, the other Or no, uh, no, Abdulayev, Muhammad yes. Abdulayev. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. look, at that's what I love about Casamayor. He always wanted to smoke. He, who, no, no matter who it was, even if he was a little slightly past it, he still wanted to fight those guys. And it wasn't until the very tail end of his career that he finally like got really dominated and blown out. He fought to a standstill when Campbell ended up edging him in a very close fight that I thought Campbell might have won. A lot of people did, yeah. It was a very, very close fight. And then he fought um, Kid Diamond, uh, who was... Almost big Remkulov, yeah. Yes. He fought him to a to a draw that most people thought Casamoyo probably edged. So, you know... He's on the Hall of Fame ballot too. He's a guy that definitely deserves consideration. Yeah, he's he I mean it's he's one of those guys that unfortunately suffers on the Hall of Fame ballot because of like the strength of some of the other names on the mm-hmm. ballot and totally. just the way that the picking goes. And so and the way that like names get um the way that names now get added so quickly after a few years, <laughs> it's always high names that people just recognize and want to add first so oh yeah there's a very big recency bias for sure if there's like a slow year when there's not so many it's it's gonna be tough but there's ever if there's ever gonna be like a a slow year then you know he might have a chance but he definitely deserves it and deserves consideration heavy consideration i love casimir yeah i would agree too um do you remember this is kind of funny to me after he knocked out um casitas in a very in one of those undercard uh one what do they call it um classics the uh the league rose classics that they call closet it. classics closet classics yes. yeah 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 that was a great fight but remember that after, was a really good fight afterwards um during the after and in the interview they like basically kicked the interpreter out because they said that castle couldn't understand what he was saying in spanish no, like, I don't remember that. One of one of his managers was like, "No, no, like Casamayor played stupid to the guy. The guy was like talking to him. The interpreter tried talking to him. Casamayor played stupid that he couldn't understand what he said. He was like, no, no, he can't understand him. Let me talk to him.' Blah, 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 blah. And then they started like doing their own thing. Like, was it, it like was, Louis de Cubas or something? It was probably Louis de Cubas. One of those guys was trying to, yeah, they were trying to take it over completely yeah. to talk shit. And so the interpreter probably, they had they didn't like, and they said yeah. that whatever you speak in Casamayor couldn't understand it. <laughs> yeah, it was probably Louis de Cubas. I don't, I don't know who it was, but that would be my guess, or not the translator, but that was probably who who was with Casamayor who kicked the person out. Gotcha. But um, but yeah, I remember one time. I don't remember what fight it was for, but it was like a like a pre-fight. Somebody asked Yoel Casamayor, like, what's going to happen before this fight or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he went off on some rant and he said in Spanish, like, I don't, I don't throw flowers. I throw rocks. <laughs> I just thought, I mean, it was just, it sounds a lot better in Spanish, but it just Dude, was. His nickname was The Brush. Right? Yeah, El Cepillo. Yeah. And, and just think about that because his hair was always just looked like it looked, you know, if it rubbed against your head, it felt, it probably feel like sandpaper. Well, so- it's like. I think that it's more like a like a like a comb, so it's like fine, yeah, yeah. like 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 a fine tooth comb, kind of like that's how it's supposed to mean. But yeah, it, it's still kind of like a. I think it it translates funny. He was a dirty ass fighter, man. But like dirty in the not, sense that it was it. He was more in the like Bernard Hopkins, Eusebio Pedroza. He knew how to do it. Like yeah. he knew how to do it and make it and make it a part of his game, as opposed to just being blatant and stupid. Yeah. He definitely was not afraid to use his head. 
his head, low blows, whatever it had. He's just an awkward dude to fight, man. Like, look yeah, what he dude. did to the poor Corrales' lip. Oh man, yeah, that was that's definitely one of the one of the more gnarly wounds, just for the fact that his mouthpiece went through his lip. Fuck. His lip, brutal. Bro, he was just. I mean, that was from, I think, a legal punch. That wasn't even from a... a like, yeah, a they showed it in the replay. It was just, they said that it was from like a bad-fitting mouthpiece or that yeah. it was like not all the way in his mouth when it got hit because he had his mouth open or something. And brutal, dude. Fuck. Uh, man, just thinking all about right. the just made my stomach hurt. <laughs> Lord, so let's move on. And who's a, who's another right, one? Hold on, let me, get, let me get to my list really quick here. But, um... Well, actually, another person who we have to bring up, just because we love bringing up 80s, 80s fighters, uh, Tim Witherspoon. Yep, that's true. Mr. Sp- Man, unfortunately, Tim Witherspoon just had an up-and-down career during you know, uh, that particular phase. And, you know, Tony Tubbs, 1986, was right during that. Well, for much of his career, unfortunately, it was kind of up-and-down. He just couldn't kind of keep was, it consistent. Well, I mean- not only can he get him keep him consistent, but he was stuck with Don King. That's also true. Yeah, no, that's fair. That was during a time where you didn't want to be among that group. And you couldn't help it because where else were you going to go? Exactly. Well, Bob Arum didn't really have a hold on the heavyweight division. He did with John Tate at the very, very beginning of the decade. But once that ended, he had nothing. King had that entire division on lock. So if you wanted to be anything, you kind of had to go with King. It wasn't until Mike Tyson, um, with his management, with his management team of Bill Cain and Mike Jacobs, um, no Jim Jacobs, excuse me, Jim Jacobs and Bill Cain that were able to like kind of break through the mold of that way. But even King still got him later on. But yeah, you were you were kind of stuck there, bro. Well, and <clears throat> excuse me, what's crazy about the Tony Tubbs fight is the fact that he tested positive. And there was really there wasn't any serious consequences from it. He wound up winning a, a majority decision in that fight, but like all the consequences were like not tied to anything having to do with the result of the fight or anything like that. So I mean, they talked about it in the press like plenty, but that was it. I mean, and he actually admitted to it too. He was just like, yeah, yeah I smoked weed, you know, like it is what it is type of shit, like. And again, it's one of those things too that, like, consider what else was going on with his like cohorts and the and um, Don King stable over there. That was probably the least of their worries. Yeah, no shit, dude. But I know Don King did make a big deal about oh, he, Timmy did this and blah, 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 and all that. Well, whereas Michael Dokes was going through fucking kilos of coke a week himself. Um, I don't want to say I can't, you know, speak on some of the other lost heavyweights of that era but like you know dokes kind of takes up for all of it but i mean i'm sure greg page was more into food than it was in the, than the drugs but i'm sure he dabbled in stuff here and there uh tony tubbs obviously was known for you know being heavy into cocaine at one point um tony tucker was known you know dabbled in stuff here and there. like they all got into it all because don king made their life a living hell that was when it comes that really what it comes down to like you know, King kind <laughs> you of wrong. To say, like, you know, I'm not going to say that the excess of the 80s wouldn't have pushed them to like do bad decisions to begin with, but like Don King really like expedited that too, just on the conditions he put them under. Like, he made them all locate into this stupid, like, you know, sl- um, sleeping like sleepover camp that they all had to live together at this place. They were charged, he was charging them to live there. <laughs> on well, top of that, 
and I think that it, it sounded like they were basically getting allowances and the way yes. that they were getting paid is just like, like you would expect like an addict to behave in terms of like timing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you yeah, get yeah. that payday, you get that fucking whatever it is you want to get. But yeah, dude, I, that's, I don't think that's totally inaccurate to be honest. I mean, that shit would have been hell. I mean, absolutely hell. If you talk to if, well, whoever's still around from that era, because a few of them have passed away, but like, if you go back then, you read different accounts from when they were interviewed and stuff like that. All of them will tell you just harrowing stories of what they had to go through. Like all of them went through like depressing shits and they were forced to do things they didn't want to do. And they were just like, well, I mean, Mike Tyson, we were just talking about Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson has talked about a lot of the shit, you know, a little bit more in a, in a slightly more clear headed way. And he's still around. He was never really a part of that whole camp. He wasn't a part of that whole Tyson was knocking out all of those fights. Yeah, exactly. He mopped up all those. <laughs> yeah, games, he, but he, he but he still guys. saw the he still saw the behavior from King. Absolutely. You know, absolutely, totally. He just got it from you know he had other people though that were like blocking him from noticing it. Exactly. Like, King had a whole army yeah. to ensure that. Where are these other guys? King King didn't respect them enough. Exactly. He didn't do that. He just did it blatantly in front of their face. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. He He'd show like, up. He'd show up to their hotel room with his own goons and shit like that. And just, just be like, this is what you're getting, and this is what you have to do a contract. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? And a guy like Tony Tubbs looks around. He doesn't have this, he doesn't have that way. Well, I guess I have to go play the piper. Like, it's, it sucks. Yep. Well, so, so a couple months after Tim Witherspoon uh, tests positive for smoking herb, that was, you know, Bone Crusher Smith winds up <laughs> giving him the old first round TKO. I mean, I'm not saying the two are related. I don't think they have anything to do with each other. It's more what we were just talking about with King and the entire situation, I think. You know, in the way that he was probably already had like a predilection for like not really training. Um, You know, he got out of shape fairly regularly and he depended on his power at some point. You know, he had really a good jab and a good right hand and he started depending on both of those things and less the jab, more the right hand. And I think that, you know, the combination of that tornado of bullshit and him depending probably too much on his power, bad news bears, no training. That's it. Well, also too, let me ask, there was right after, this was the brute, this was after um, the second bone, the, the second bone crusher Smith fight. Cause he beat him in their first fight was the Bruno fight was right before that. Correct. Yeah. 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 Witherspoon's mindset was probably absolutely shot by that point too that's what it was because he did mention that also there was like so many factors going into that fight first Tubbs was supposed to be his for uh his original opponent Tubbs was fed up with Don King and just wanted to get out of the whole situation himself so he called it he cited an injury and pulled out that's when King plucked you know Bonecrusher Smith and put him in there Witherspoon who got who was expected to to make at least close to a million dollars, if not more, in the um, in the Frank Bruno fight, and cleared, I think, you know, a little over ninety thousand instead. That was it. That's what King paid him. I mean, anybody would be absolutely deflated after that. I don't know how. You know what I mean? Like, I would just. Well, aside from wanting to like hurt the guy physically from jacking me for so much money, I think if you were forcing me to go into another thing, oh, I just shit. shit at that point. And that was kind of Witherspoon's mindset. Aside from everything else, like you mentioned, his, you know, training habits and yada, yada, yada. So at that point, he goes in there and Smith kind of dusted him in around and Witherspoon didn't really give a shit. He even said so afterwards, too. He was like, I was free from Don King. That's all I cared about. But like, Dad, just one more thing about this, like 
Don screwed with all of his fighters back then. Like you said, you know, he screwed with Tony Tubbs. He screwed with Greg Page. Any heavyweight, anybody who was ever aligned with Don King, Don did some kind of screwing with him. He had a special, like, it seemed like he really had, like, a special in on fucking with Greg, um, with Tim Witherspoon. Like, if you read the book from Jack Newfield that he wrote on King in the, in the early 90s, which is highly recommended, if you listen to the show, I'm probably sure that you have read it, but... Witherspoon really got messed up by King on many, many ways because Witherspoon was one of the few guys that was willing to like stand up to King and try to question him on, on a lot of things. And he tried to take him to court and he wanted to do yada, yada, you know, other stuff. Larry Holmes was a, was a person too that stood up to King, but Larry Holmes was heavyweight champion. King had to give a little bit of ground to him. Witherspoon didn't have that type of, you know, didn't have that type of advantage to himself. Like King really liked to put the screws to him in the bootstorm. And whatever he did, like, imagine you're going to try to make over a million dollars and then you can make over 90,000 instead. That is such a crazy amount of, like, just absolute, I can't even use the word for it. Like, it's insane how bad that is, you know? And, yeah, man, Witherspoon really, really got squandered in the 80s. I mean, some of it was his own undoing, but King played a major part in that. And sure, he had a resurgence in a little bit in the early to mid nineties and saw him a couple of times at HBO and he had some good fights, but you know, his best years were way behind him. And it's unfortunate because out of all those dudes, aside from maybe Michael dopes and even a prime Greg page, Witherspoon was incredibly talented and he couldn't have done so much more. Yeah. He was, he was extremely talented. Like I said, he was, uh, I think that it would just got to a point where, who knows like chicken or egg you know what i'm saying as far yeah. as his style devolving or you know all the craziness but yeah he went from being a pretty good boxer to being more of a kind of like one punch slugger you know not that not overhand being... right bro man even when he's in a nursing home i'm still he's i'm sure he's still gonna flatten someone over it that's true yeah. <laughs> power's the last the thing to go he... yeah man remember the way he chopped down jorge luis gonzalez with, the, with about 50 overhand rights in a row, he just kept on throwing them and throwing them until Gonzalez's head was just going like a pinwheel and then he just finally dropped and just collapsed. Yeah, and, and for whatever reason, Gonzalez was one of those dudes where like when he got hit, like he get hit from the side and his head would like hit his shoulder. Yeah. He'd be like, <laughs> totally. and which was perfect for the chopping overhand rights. So yeah, and great. you see his lasagna mullet go flying. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> dude all right let's move on to another dude let's do uh let's go down the list real quick and let's uh well he's, he's, he's chavez jr That's, yeah dude yeah. sure let's talk about who cesar chavez jr since we already br brought up senior for totally different reasons i mean senior i don't think was uh much of a smoker he uh, he strikes me more as a you know did coke in his day and and no we know for sure he was a drinker uh, and he's said, he's talked about it before about how he's a drinker, but Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Man, come on! There should have been telltale signs that well, entire fight built up. There I were. I mean, the fight with Martinez when <laughs> uh, who can ever forget the scene? If anyone that ever that watches that what was it twenty four seven? Yeah, anyone dude, it was that watched so 20, good twenty four seven, where you see Chavez Sr. already and like really in gear, like he's training for the fight harder than his kid was. Yeah, dude. It was wait, so. If you don't know what we're talking about, he was fighting. So he was getting ready to fight Sergio Martinez, and obviously, you know, they. It was a lot of build up to that fight. Martinez was the lineal middleweight champion. Chavez was supposed to be like you know the paper champion that was brought up, but uh, 
now he had some respectable fights coming up because he had knocked out Andy Lee and um, man for you know he like he was looking impressive in his last few fights. He was looking like a legitimate fighter at that point. So now it was finally being built to fight on pay per view, and of course twenty four seven had the build up. And if you remember too, when they had the face off with Kellerman, that was one of the most intense intense ones they had. <laughs> yeah, like Martinez was so pissed off and so dismissive of Chavez, like. And it was a whole demeanor because, you yeah. know, Martinez was, a, you know, the guy with the model good looks, always smiling and kind of happy-go-lucky. Um, kind of like you just noticed that he enjoyed boxing more than, like, being mad at his opponent. But, like, with Chavez, he had a whole different demeanor. And you say he looked at me, he was like, you know, you, the way you only hear because of your dad and yada, 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 and all this other stuff, and I'm going to beat the brakes off of you. And Chavez is kind of like, yeah, well, I got a good chin like my dad, so you're not going to do anything to me. Ha, <laughs> ha. I remember he had that psycho smile. He's like, <laughs> like the yeah, entire time, I, like, holy well, shit, this gets nuts, dude. And then totally, yeah. he was like, yeah, I could take a point. Like they were just going back and forth. I was like, oh my God, I no, can't. The, the best, the best scene, dude, is when senior is up over there talking to him like about strategy. And he's totally, like, come on, yes. like we got to get going. Like Chavez Jr. is just sitting there with a bowl of cereal in his, his fucking pink boxer pink. shorts. And yeah, it is it not even boxers, bro. They were like straight up the BBDs. Yeah, 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 bro. Yeah, it was like bright pink, hair all messed up. It's like three in the afternoon and shit. And he's just sitting there he's eating, eating cereal. He's eating a bowl of cereal and he's just going, nodding his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's that was literally the most stoner shit I've ever seen from a and fighter. Chavez Sr. is literally over there trying to work on him, like trying to like show him. Like I said, training harder than his kid was. Yeah, he's like, "Vamos con la gancho." He's like talking yeah. about like, you know, we're gonna do this shit with it, and it's like, and he's just like, mm-hmm. he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. "Yeah, it's perfect." And literally, that's how he absolutely ended up fucking perfect for eleven and a half rounds. Absolutely fucking perfect. Yeah, dude, and that was the thing was that like, it it was so it's basically like me in a fucking nutshell. If only you had applied yourself. This is literally what I've been told my whole life. But it was literally fucking Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. for like 11, 11 and a half rounds following Sergio Martinez around, just following him around, following him around, whiff, whiff, whiff. And then finally he lands a punch, dude. And I remember uh, we were talking about this because that same night that was Canelo versus uh, Josecito Lopez across town in Vegas, And I remember people were texting me, holy shit, holy shit, he's about to knock him out. And I'm like, oh, shit, are you fucking kidding me? What? And so I know they went nuts. And for it was exciting enough, even just during that moment, that that made up for whatever shit was on the undercard or whatever. It was that intense. It was like, so that's pretty I remember what was on the undercard. I remember I was working at HBO Studios that night uh, doing Punch Zone for it. And um, yeah, it for 11 rounds, you know, Martinez was just absolutely slapping the shit out of Chavez. It was awesome to watch because, like, you just you, Chavez needed a humbling like that. You could tell he was getting way too big for his britches. He had been a spoiled brat, which he had been for his entire career, from when he was a weird, ungainly-looking, alien-looking thing as a junior <laughs> welterweight. Because he was so tall and just so skinny and well, just... 
and they were talking about i remember for years years the rumor was that they were fudging his age and that 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 wasn't his real age and like that's why he looked so goofy was because his he was like actually three years younger and all this i was like no if you watched him he was the same kid that was on his dad's shoulders for like yeah i was like how are you gonna fake that he's been covered his entire life smile from when he was a kid then up until then he had the same teeth everything like yeah there were some straight up experts who were talking about that type of shit for no, years clearly they weren't fans because they would have seen his kid just like you would see costa zoo with tim zoo when he was a kid like all that yeah anyways goofy shit uh, no no like you know as as like when he first turned pro he looked like a bunch of like loosely like loose fishing poles kind of hung together man because he yeah, was dude so skinny and scrawny and tall with a big head and just but then like as because he was a kid he grew into his body and he grew and grew and grew and as his, he had no amateur background, he's so he still growing. Yeah, yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, like in his amateur background and all, and like he had no amateur background. So, like top rank, I got to give him credit, man. As slow as it was, and as comical as it was, and it was easy to like kind of think of him as partial. Like they did a hell of a job to build him up to where they ended up doing it for against Martinez. I mean, who else could say they can do a stand-up job like that? Because that probably was not easy. Especially he, he beat some legitimate fighters. I mean, it like took, I'm not saying he was great, but it he beat some while. legitimate fighters. It took a very long while, but remember, he had no amateur career. I don't even think he had an amateur fight, besides a couple of like smokers or you know, whatever it may be. Like he never <laughs> oh, really he had, had some smokers, career. all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, like he never really had an amateur career. So I mean, credit to to um who was it, Bruce Trampler and Brad Goodman and whoever else is behind over at Top Rank for doing that stuff because they brought him up all the way to have a marquee pay-per-view because right after that fight, Chavez hit the skids, man. His career's yep. never recovered since then. <laughs> yep, they they brought him from Nico Ali Walsh to past Marvis yeah. Fraser. <laughs> totally. I'm No, man, they yeah. really did a hell of a job because like what I just said, right after that fight ended, and then Chavez kind of like defected from top rank and ended up signing with Al Heyman for a minute. His career, his career completely fucked up. Oh yeah. Well, I think that it was, it was clear by that point that like, I mean, just on a kind of like macro, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. pulling back, dude, doing that type of shit. And just in general, him, not just the herb, but like getting out of shape, his weight well, I mean, no, the whole smoking thing is the least was, the, was yeah the least that's like the least of his fucking worries he went bro through, like he said he was already he's already a spoiled brat to begin with he wasn't really worried about it he thought yeah that, like, his motivation's but, questionable you know totally and then, like for whatever reason in his mind he has like one of those delusional minds that he thinks that like even though i got beat up i'm still L- look at his losses all right that shows you how delusional he is Oh no, man! They should have like I don't know what happened. I hurt my eye. Why they stopped the fight? They should have just let me have a draw or something. Or why has this happened? I shouldn't have happened that way. I think I should deserve more. Like he oh, yeah, always- he gets the gets the shit kicked out of him, and he's like, no, no, I thought I won. Like yeah, totally. Like it's in his weird mind, he thinks that he's still Chavez's kid, and because of that, he's st- this is 2010, and he should still be getting privileges over everything. Yeah. So I mean, like just. In that regard, dude, it's kind of sad because, like, from the perspective of like him being in his eyes the son who's like never gonna make his dad happy, when like his dad at this point has probably just let that shit go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like his dad is like totally fine well, with dad, whatever's I mean, going on. Chavez, you saw the proudness in him when yeah, he's Chavez he seems like he's father. he's kind of progressed. You know, Chavez seems like a, a he's a senior seems like he's fine with whatever the fuck Junior is doing. 
totally. You saw you saw how proud he was when Chavez uh, Jr. fought for the WBC title against um, that guy from Germany. Was it Zibik? Sebastian Zibik, I think. It yeah, was. yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. So, so he fight. You know, you saw like when they were doing the pre-fight introductions, and they mentioned Chavez Senior. You see that, and you see like the fucking just grit. You see that proud face of Chavez Senior. Like he's so just like he's glowing because knowing what's about to happen right here and all that. But like, yeah, man, it's it, it's been completely downhill for that. And now all you see is the random Instagram video of uh, Chavez Jr. training in his backyard or the meme of him doing this ringside. Well, no, and you just and you just see Chavez Jr. just with the most dude. His not that he ever had like you know skill, really good skills to begin with, but the way you watch him, like all these bad, like he's regressed so bad that he looks like he's stopping at the gym yesterday. And he does basically. You take the crazy training routines that, like, uh, that for instance, Vasily Lomachenko does, and it's like you put like a fucking Tim Burton. David Lynch spin on that shit. And that's what Julio Cesar Chavez is doing in his dad's garage. Right now. Totally. You know, the dude's like working on some tires or doing some you weird. You see him do the same thing with completely squared up his chin out there like this. And yeah. he's going, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's doing the up. old, he's doing the old Rio Salvarado three, you know, he, he's doing the UFC yeah, fan. The UFC fan. I, I was fucking... probably going too fast when I was just going to the Yeah. <laughs> Bad shit, dude. And eventually he's gonna come back again, and he's gonna because of his name. Well, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be not. a high-profile fight, but some prospect is gonna use him and bounce it. Well, maybe actually, I hope not. But it might. It might be Jake Paul. Who knows? I well, I hope not too, because that would probably be great money for both of them. But I mean, I would imagine that Chavez Jr. would probably get absolutely hosed in that shit. And I mean, this is an instance where I would. I mean, Anderson Silva slapped him up, bro. I'm just saying, yeah. Well, and and and, dude, that shit took a toll on his legs, dude. He got zero legs in there, and so I'm just saying he'd probably get his ass kicked. And this is an instance where I definitely encourage Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. to like get out and go smoke, go smoke more weed for sure. Just go smoke, bro. And so, speaking of, here's another dude that I was going to bring up a minute ago, but. Chad Dawson is actually somewhat surprising. I didn't even know about this until I looked it up, but Chad Dawson actually tested positive after his fight with Ondolin Sloan in 2004. So, I mean, like it was fairly early-ish in his career. Like what, when did he turn pro? He turned pro in 2001. So yeah, it's pretty early in his career. Uh, But yeah, dude, I guess I'm not surprised, but he's a New England guy. So, I mean, it's all good, right? You know, you got, you got the New England connect connection on Ameris. (laughs) You know, one of the um, well, I will say this: the first major fight, I well, you know, the first like major network fight I ever I ever attended was um, a, uh, was a card in Connecticut at the uh, Mohegan Sun, and it was featuring like the 2000 Olympians. But the main event was Rocky Juarez against my old gym mate Jason Pyers. Okay. Yeah. So my mom, it's a funny story behind it. The reason why we ended up getting tickets was because they were giving them away on the radio and uh, my mom was listening. It was her birthday today, by the way. So happy, uh, happy heavenly birthday, mom. Um, she, uh, she was listening on the radio and they asked who was the, um, who was the heavyweight champion at the time? Who was the WBC champion? She didn't know. So she called my dad. I was in school. So and I, this is again, 2002. 
And so it's not like cell phones were just like easily accessible at that point. And she called my dad and he was like, oh, I think it's Lennox Lewis. So she called the radio station and said that it ended up being Lennox Lewis. So we ended up getting three tickets so I can go support my boy. Um, long story short, that was, that was a really cool card, man. I lost my voice. I was losing. I got to see Jimmy Lennon. I was, you know, all that stuff. It was, it was cool. My friend lost, but it was a memorable experience. Reason why I'm mentioning this though is because Chad Dawson fought on the uh, walkout bout. Very, very young Chad Dawson. And his trainer at the time was Gaspar Ortega, former um, legendary 50s and 60s uh, welterweight contender. That's awesome. Hell yeah. yeah. And he was like ringside there too, because, you know, talking about Dawson and all this other stuff. And I was like, holy shit. It's like I had met him at the Hall of Fame a couple of times. And he was always a very, very personable guy and sign autographs or talk to you and yada, yada, yada. But it was cool to see him ringside and see a very young Dawson who had all of his homeboys ringside too. All of them, because this is the early 2000s, were wearing Mitchell and Ness throwback basketball jerseys and, you know, the uh, the matching hats backwards to the side and all that, because I was doing that too at that point. And um, and they were just like, yeah, man, whoop Chad, whoop that ass, beat him up, whoop him And you just see Gaspar Ortega, just old and noble, sitting in the corner listening to all this. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very interesting scene. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's a pretty good collection of memories there, dude. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. It was cool to see. Ortega was just sitting there, just kind of quiet and watching. And you see all of Chad's boys around him, rowdy and yelling and throwing all the sides and just going crazy. You know what's a what's kind of a cool, underratedly cool thing about that, in my opinion, is that you don't do they don't even do walkout bouts anymore most of the time. Like, no, do you? When's the last time you I saw? I don't one? know, man. I'm gonna be honest. I wouldn't. I don't stay for them if they do anymore. But I can't remember. Well, I couldn't Good even question. remember the last time that they did one. Yeah, yeah, good question. I'm not sure. But well, in any case, yeah, that's crazy shit. But that's a that's a pretty cool collection of memories, dude. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> well, Chad Dawson, you know, I that was a dude who had a really good amateur career. He seemed to have a whole lot of promise, you know, throughout his pro career, really. I thought that he was going to go, I don't know, I guess a little bit farther than he wound up wound up going. Not that he didn't go far. It's just that I he just kind of abruptly got, you know, hit a bricked wall. But I mean, hey, dude, you call out Andre Ward and then fight Andre Ward and go down and wait to do so when you say you're going to do it and then get your ass kicked. I, I can't and help you. It was Andre Ward's hometown. Wasn't that in Oakland or somewhere around there? Uh, I can't remember where it was. I just remember that afterward, a lot of people saying like, oh, well, Chad Dawson moved down. But at the time, he was he called Andre Ward out and was like, "I'll move down," right. and did, and got housed. <laughs> Poor guy, damn. And soon after that, I was the first big fight I worked for CompuBox, and in terms of like working ringside, was um, Chad Dawson against Adonis Stevenson. So, and that still remains one of the craziest crowd reactions I've ever heard in my life. Like, I still have it on my phone. Like, as I recorded it right afterwards, I kind of panned the crowd and everything around me because I was so, like, just blown away by what I heard. But yeah, man, Dawson got absolutely blasted in that fight, bro. Like, and, and to, to add to your point, I totally agreed that, like, when you said that he should have been, a lot of people looked upon him when he beat Thomas Adamick for the, uh, for the lay heavyweight championship. Dawson looked flawless in that fight. Sure, I think he got dropped at one point, but like for besides that, like, you know, besides getting dropped, he looked 
incredible. You know, he had an item completely negated. He just, you know, used his skills, everything like that. I think he, he uh, made like lapses, but like he was, he, he would just kind of like almost like lose focus for a little bit. But was there Mayweather really Senior training him at that point? What's that? Mayweather Senior was training him at that point, correct? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. But I, 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 I think he might have been. But anyways, um, yeah, Dawson looked really, really good. So he loses uh, in an upset to Pascal, but comes back and beats Hopkins because even though Hopkins is such a you know a genius or whatever it is, like Dawson's style is just complete kryptonite for him. Like his boxing style just wasn't wasn't gonna work. So again, it looks like you know Dawson is gonna maybe just have like you know a lengthy reign, even though he wasn't very exciting. But nah, Adonis Stevenson completely blasted him, and like you said, man, he he had a good career, but there was something missing to it totally yeah and actually damn dude i guess we both have a handful of chad dawson like live fight memories because i was at the first bernard the fucking botched first bernard hopkins fight. yeah (laughs) damn dude that was so bad i mean the good thing about that card was there was also um Jorge Linares against um, Antonio DeMarco. Yeah, dude, like that was a that was a fun upset, and that was a good like kind of like slow brewing totally, you know, totally. beat down. That was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But man, I remember being so pissed after that fight because I didn't go to cover it. I just went as a fan for the first time in a long ass time, and I sat like by myself, and I was just chilling, fucking watching the fights, and I was like hyped, and I was like, yeah, dude, this is gonna be fucking. Bernard Hopkins is one of the fighters I've seen most live. Why? I don't know. There were just fights that he was in that I wanted to see live, I guess. But I went and then it fucking ends and like it it just felt to me like Hopkins was pulling another one of his shits, dude, and I was just like You totally Bernard. Won. If you watched the first what was it? The second round it ended? I think so, yeah. Round 1 of- It was either at the end of the first or in the second or something like that. But like you can tell, what however long it lasted, Second. Dawson was gonna give him serious issues that night, and Hawkins was just not trying to deal with that. Yeah, like he probably actually did like hit his shoulder or whatever it was, but it was whatever, dude. I'm not making jokes. Look, man, I'm, I'm gonna say I, I haven't I haven't watched that in a minute, but I'm gonna say if he was able to get up from one Antoine Eccles poleaxed him um, into the canvas with a you know, directly onto his shoulder. I'm sure he could have got up the fight and, and he continued and knocked out Eccles. Yeah, was, I'm sure he could have continued to fight. Shit was Austin. aggravating, bro. Shit was yeah. aggravating. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it was aggravating. So funny. But I mean, you know, Dawson, again, though, he wasn't a bad guy at that era, but he wasn't um, a person that was like, you know, making waves like with the overall crowd. I think whenever he ended up losing, more people were excited about it as opposed to him being, because the more exciting fighter yeah. when I'm winning over that. You know what I mean? Like when Pascal originally beat him, Pascal had a fan-friendly style that people could like relate to and get excited about. And yeah. he made more fan-friendly fights. Yeah, and and he's and sorry to interrupt you, but Chad was also sure. pretty bland personality. Totally, wise. totally. I remember for a long ass time people were calling him sad Chad Dawson and shit like that, because he was always in interviews just like, Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. It was like Come on, yeah. dude, get a little animated. Let's and if you watch something. like the pre-fight, if you watch this pre-fight features, it was always featuring him and his family. And it was nice to see, like, you know, he had a nice family that supported him, but in his kid that like worshipped him and everything. But at the same time, you were just kind of like, Yeah, well, that's it. Okay, cool. Yeah, just you know, didn't there was, seem there was like nothing there was really else to it. Yeah, totally. But dude, I've never 
you know, I've always said before, if you've never been to a fight in Montreal, you've never been to fight out there, like a big, big fight, you need to go because the atmosphere is absolutely insane, insane. And when I heard them, the, when the crowd erupted, when Stevenson landed that shot, he became champion. Yo, I cannot tell you, man, I had goosebumps. The place went nuts, absolutely nuts. And it was incredible to hear. Like, I was just like, holy shit, you know, just... I was there with Lee Groves and both of us just took off our headphones and just kind of like uh, just just absorbed what we were what we were hearing. You know what I mean? And then the subsequent times that I went to Montreal or Quebec City to work a fight, same thing. Whenever they were doing the announcements, I would just take my headphones off as would Lee and we would just sit there and I would take my phone and just kind of like scan the crowd because I was like, I got a bell center. Yeah, man, it was. And I was there when um, Pascal fought Lucian Butte. Dude, you would have thought that like the world was about to end with the place shaking the way it was when the crowd erupting. It was insane. Yeah, man, they come out, they show out for their fighters. They There's really no do. Man. It's an incredible. It's it's a beautiful fight city. Yeah, really, really cool. And it's just a beautiful city to visit in general. But yeah, man, go there for a fight is next level. Yeah, for sure. That's one of those you know, the, uh, like London. Or, or Manchester, one of those two places for sure. Madison Square Garden, because I've never seen a fight there. You know, like, and then like Bell Center or something like that. Like, those are among the places that I would really love to see fights. Totally. So, who's another guy that you want to bring up? Uh, let's see. I'll save, I'll save the really good one for you. I'll talk about actually Ava Knight. Believe it or not, Ava Knight. This is another person. This is another fighter. I was actually... I guess not surprised in the sense that like, you know, uh, I heard her saying that she smoked herb or I read about it and I was like, Oh my God, it was more just, I guess I just never thought about it. I don't know. Um, she's been pretty inactive. I don't think she's officially retired that I know of, but I don't think she's fought in a little bit or perhaps she's fought. I actually, you know what, dude, I feel like a shit because I looked this up somewhat recently. Now I'm gonna look it up right now. I looked it up very recently and uh, I didn't go back to it, but yeah, that's right. She did fight uh, in late 2021, but she had been inactive and she hadn't fought for like tw uh, two years before that. Um, but I mean, dude, you know, she's only has two losses in about what 27 fights. She's a really good fighter. Very underrated. Doesn't get talked about pretty much ever. Even when it comes to women fighters, uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to women, women's boxing, you know, you just don't really ever hear about her and she's a really good fighter. So anyway, point is, I was just a little bit surprised to read that she was uh, kind of on the advocacy side. Yeah, I've been surprised too to see that um, more fighters and others for that matter have like been saying after they retired from their career or just like even before then, but they've just been like, you know what, I'm all about it. And like, I support what people want to do when it comes to smoking weed or whatever it is like that because um we've seen more and more like i think chris bird is another one that we can mention is uh people that was saying that like you know something this is like helping me out as opposed to like nfl players i mentioned it too where it's like um prescription drugs that can either make you really really addicted and go through all these other things like you true know, totally they'll try to make you put on that but it's be like people saying well you know smoking weed or whatever is actually helping me out with my ailments much much more and like making me just like me able to live day-to-day -day with my activities 
Well, and, and something we've talked about too is the damage and you know, feel free to, I'm just going to go ahead and book name, drop the books, but damage by Tris Dixon talks Great about book. this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Really good book, but just the overall damage incurred by fighters, uh, whether it's, you know, fighters going throughout the rest of their life, getting headaches and stuff like that, or having difficulty using their hands to yeah. feed themselves, to eat, to turn knobs, to lift a gallon of milk, whatever, because of, you know, hitting shit for years and years and years and your hands just absorbing so much damage. And then, you know, a lot of fighters develop things like uh, severe arthritis or chronic oh. arthritis, chronic pain. And like you were talking about, they start trying to use uh, opioids or other kinds of pills that are not so good on the stomach, you know, could mm -hmm. fuck you mm -hmm. up or can be very addictive. Whereas you just start smoking herb and I'm not saying that it has the same effect, but it can be alleviating a, some of the pain and blah, 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 you know, without a lot of the addiction. So, well, well dude, I'll tell you too, like when working so many years at the hall of fame, and being being honored to be able to like help and you did the fist casting. casting too yeah i have to help with the fist casting. exactly yeah dude i can't tell you how many fighters do all of them have like so it, it the track marks that they have on their arms man from the various surgeries and the yeah, other the things, lidocaine whatever, getting all injections injection all this stuff dude it is crazy I wish I had the foresight because I never I thought it would be weird to like take photos of their hands when I was like kind of like, you know, putting Vaseline on them. I can't tell you almost out of all the years I did it and I helped like, you know, uh, with a lot, a lot of different fighters and a lot of different hands. Most of them definitely I can't maybe I can count on one hand how many of them didn't have any type of like scars or any type of like marks on them. Who's the most memorable fighter you can think of the, whose fist you did like? I don't know. Sheesh, man. Like, I've done Mike Tyson. I did Chavez. Um, Costa Zoo. This was all in the same year. Costa Zoo, Ricardo Lopez, Roberto Duran. This isn't the same year. I'm just talking. I've done Mike McCallum. Uh, Nicolino Loche. Um, dude, I, I... Tons. Like, just that's just off the top of my head. Like, a bunch of other guys. Like, um... Oh man, lots. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, dude. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. just just being able to get to do and, that. And period. even and even like those were just fighters. Like I, I was able to do like you know famous writers like um, Bud Schulberg and uh, the f famous photographer who took the photo of Ali uh, Ali List and Neil Leifler. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and I get to sit with these guys afterwards and like talk with them on stage because they're all waiting to get their fists casted because all I was doing was putting the Vaseline on their hands. And I get to like, you know, pick their brains and like sit there and like kind of chit chat with them a little bit about shit. And it was so cool, man. Like it's such a, like, you know, ugh, dude, something I'll always cherish. Yeah, dude, you're lucky as hell you got that experience, bro. Oh, it was wild. Yeah. Well, so. I would, I personally would love to see somebody like Ava Knight in the International Boxing Hall of Fame at some point. I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm using that as a, a little bit of a segue, but still, she is a, an extremely good fighter, and I was a, a little bit surprised to, to see that she was kind of advocating for it. So she's on the list as well. Totally, totally. And, well, who would you like to end with tonight? You got Emmanuel Augustus, and then we got Chris Ariola. <laughs> Here, let's, well, let's, uh, let's talk about that oh, shit, that oh shit hitter, that Chris Ariola. <laughs> you hit him with that oh shit jab. <laughs> 
And, I think Chris Ariola is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris Ariola tested positive after fighting Friday Ahunanya in 2011 and after fighting Travis Kaufman in 2015. You but know, here's the best thing about Ariola is that you can tell from his, if you watched him throughout his um, uprising in the, uh, in the early mid 2000s, he was one of the first Al Heyman guys that really made prominence, right? From like that first, from that first wave. Mm-hmm. Totally, right? Yeah, and, Vernon uh, Forrest was his first fighter, and like Vernon it was Forrest only was a couple years after fighter. that. But yeah, yeah, I'm talking like Chris Ariola was a part of that same class of like Jermaine Taylor, yeah, um, yeah. Andre Berto, like guys that you would see start getting featured more and more, you know. Yes, and, yeah. Um, yeah, Ariola, if you watch all of his post fight interviews, even back then. He always had such a like a uncaring attitude. Like he just didn't give a shit. Like yeah, he, he was very endearing because of that. He was kind of like yeah, yeah, man. The guy was kind of punching me a couple of times. I got pissed off about that shit, so I came back and beat his ass. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna drink a Corona now. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. That's that's why I say the oh shit because I can't remember what fight it was off the top of my head, but he got knocked down and he was. Might have been Travis Kaufman. Was it Travis Kaufman? No, it no it. Not Travis Kaufman, um, Travis Walker. Travis Walker, thank you. It was yeah. that one. And yeah. in the post fight interview, they're going up and they're asking him, So, like, tell us what happened. He's like, Man, he hit me with that oh shit jab. And he's like, What is that? And he's like, It's then they hit you with that jab, and you go, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, what a fucking guy, man. You know, I remember we ran into him at uh, I'm pretty sure it was Vasquez Marquez three. And he was there and we were chilling and I was lucky enough to that one of my good friends, Chris, uh, got a luxury suite at the Home Depot Center at the time. And so we're kicking it and they have like free booze and these things and shit. And dude, Chris Ariola was just kicking it outside the suite with us, like fucking totally drinking the booze. It was hilarious. And fucking my wife, who's like five foot tall, climbs on top of him as if he's a tree and starts like Chris Ariola. And certain, and we were taking pictures and shit. And he was cool as fuck. He didn't care. Uh-huh. He was just like, yeah, go ahead. And he's like sitting there drinking a beer. And his hand, he he wasn't that much bigger than me, but his hand was like, he was like palming the beer, like fucking Andre the Giant and shit. And I was just like, dude, your hand's so fucking huge, bro. Anyway, Chris Ariola, they should have given him extra credit. Not going to get into the fucking background, but with this whole uh, Kaufman, Travis Kaufman business, they should have given, given him extra credit for smoking herb and kicking his fucking, getting fucking wind. <laughs> you know, it's son so of a bitch. Boring. Nah, I mean, he just, and he also had a classic line too. Um, what was it, after the Adamic fight where he lost it and he was really pissed off about it? And he was like, look at me, man, I look like Shrek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. He was he was great, man. I will say uh I'm not going to I'm not going to put it on him just because he kind of got fast tracked and oh, I remember totally. uh at the time thinking, you know, like he could go much farther than I think a lot of people think. But then when they put him in with Vitaly Klitschko, and I remember I told my dad, all right, this guy, he's going to seriously go for it, dude. He might get like, he might go out on his shield, but he's going to go for it. And I remember the fight was such a dud that I was like, oh, I felt so bad. My dad came over and shit and we watched the fight and it was like not nearly as good as I told him it was going to be. But like I said, I'm not going to put that all on Chris Ariola because I think that a lot of it was that like, my whole point in saying that was that they put too much on him. You know what I mean? Like it was well, I mean, too much at, on at him. Point, Ariola, like you said, he was being featured a lot because 
When was the last time you could think of a Mexican heavyweight that made any? That was part of the narrative every time you saw him on video. You know, well, it was like, like let the guy be a fighter. Last time, off the top of my head, when's the last time you could think of one? Manuel Ramos, who fought Joe Frazier for the heavyweight title in what was it like '69 or '68 or whatever it was? I'm, I'm trying to think if there's even. I mean, you know, around that, yeah, around that time. Just so, doesn't happen like very no, rarely. It it's very very rare. Like I'm. It, no you know there's there's very it's 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 not something that's normal so yeah Ariola was definitely pushed he was a pan friendly fighter at that he wasn't like a you know a cutesy fighter or a guy that was kind of like a boxer move Atlantic Lewis stick and whatever it is like he came in there to fight you know what I mean he was easy to hit he came in there he rumbled with you and he would come out on top of that so it was very very and he seemed like an everyman because he wasn't and chiseled he had a type of face that just looked like a catcher's mitt so like you know <laughs> he like he looked like he related to people like you know he yeah. talked about how he liked to drink beer how he liked to do all this other stuff in excess that fool looked like gargamel got stung by bees yes so it's like people can relate to him like people could relate to butterbean to a degree and like other stuff like that like if you can relate to this person as right. an everyman and the people would be like, hey, man, if he can do this, this is awesome. He kind of looks like me. I can feel, you know, I feel awesome about this. Like, and that's what Ariella kind of did. So it was easy to see that. But like you said, yeah, um, he got fast-tracked. Um, was he, would he ever be ready for a guy like Kalichko? Hell right. no. That's, that's totally fair to ask. Like, I don't know, man, because like Vitaly Kalichko had that type of style that he was so punishing, but he was so hard to really get to, too, because he maximized his distance better than anybody you could see. He was a real pain in the ass. Dude, he sucked the fight. Oh my God. Like at least Vladimir would stand his ground and try to pitch you. Klitschko with that whole standing there with his hands down, jabbing you. You couldn't touch him really because he knew how to just move every, like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. I hated watching him while he was active. I've grown to appreciate him since he's been retired, but I'm just like, yeah, man, a guy like Areola, would never have a chance against him. And probably was, not, no. It was a straight beatdown. Right. And yeah, dude, he probably never would have had a chance. And so I can't put that on Chris Ariola. I just remember at the time thinking, like, dude, he's gonna go out on his shield. No, the shit's no, gonna no, be no, fucking no, no, brutal. No, but it wasn't. Me and Cedric were talking about it because during that point, remember, this was during the same time that HBO was trying and really, really trying to make David Tua against Ariola, which my God, that would have been an awesome fight. Yeah, dude. That would have been fun. And, Dude, I'm, it was when Tua had, had just enough left, like just yes. enough. Dude, I'm telling you right now, man. From from working for said, they were everybody was salivating for it. Cedric, um, Cedric, excuse me. Tua had just knocked out um Shane Cameron, right? Shane Cameron wasn't really nothing of a heavyweight, but Tua looked like the same dude who would just fucking wreck John Ruiz. Well, and Shane Cameron was big on that scene. So that yes. was a big win. Like, that was a you huge know. win. That was the biggest fight in New Zealand history at that point. Yeah. And when Tua knocked him the same way, like he looked like the shades of Tua from 1996, everybody got excited again. Cedric came back to yeah. America. He, he came treat back him to like he was David Eisen or something. Just fucking no, man. He just treated him bang, like bang, John bang. Ruiz. Yeah, man. Just boom, boom, boom. Like just ripped his head off. And so everybody was hyped. <clears throat> I remember getting interviews, not interviews, excuse me, um, emails from the late Dan Goosen, from Kerry Davis, from this guy, that guy, Cedric, we need to make this fight. Cedric, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
and it just never happened. And it's unfortunate because that would have been a lot more fucking competitive than um, Vitaly Klitschko playing target practice on Areola. Yeah, well, and it would have been it would have made more sense to keep Areola in there with those kinds of fights than yeah. to try to fucking you know shoot him up toward Vitaly Klitschko or whatever. In my opinion. Like I mean, it might not have it may it might not have made sense, you know, in terms of the punishment he'd take, but it would it was more appropriate for where he should have been, in my opinion. Yeah. But hey, he he got his shot, he took his shot. So speaking of taking shots, our last guy here, man, he took a lot of shots, perhaps too many, got a few shots, was unjustly denied in some of them. But in one of them, he got absolutely shat on the entire fight before testing positive for Herb after the fight in the state of Michigan. And the entire thing was an absolute spectacle. Our boy, Emmanuel Augustus, a.k.a. Emmanuel Burton, the drunken master, a.k.a. the outlaw. Are you talking about the Vernon Paris fight? No. uh, No, no, the... The Courtney Burton fight. Courtney Burton. Mm. Yeah, because the entire thing was just an absolute shit show from start to finish. You know, like I was getting completely robbed (laughs) in one of the worst television robberies in history. He does his little kind of, you know, dancing routine through much of the fight, which clearly pisses off the ref, who Mm. is like this old timey racist looking balding old man who's like seems like he's just mad that he's even having to be there for this shit and so every time Emmanuel Augustus starts like breaking into his dance shit he's like all right cut that out cut that shit out and so at some at one point uh Emmanuel Augustus turned out of a clinch and the dude took a point for spinning he says the re- and so because uh whoever it was it was uh was it Bob Papa I think it was at the time. He calls him over and he's like, ref, what, what's the point for? And he goes, he spun him around. Oh my God. And Bob Papa's like, what? Yeah. One point for spinning. And he's like one point for spinning. And so finally, you know, (laughs) Emmanuel Augustus gets absolutely crapped on and loses a decision somehow. And then they're like, what the fuck? He loses a, a majority decision. And Teddy Atlas calls over the commissioner who, for some reason, comes over to the table. I don't know who let him go over to this table, but the commissioner goes over to the table and starts trying to talk to Teddy Atlas like he knows what's what. When he literally has to be explained what a majority decision is. Like, on camera, Teddy Atlas is explaining to this Michigan commission official that a majority decision is when, of the three scores that are read two are a draw or i'm yeah. sorry one is a draw and it's two sorry i two. i don't know what a majority decision is <laughs> talking about fighters smoking weed you know but no, one, one guy draw, gets a decision and one yeah. and one card's a draw and it's like you know the guy's sitting here going oh wait hold on can you explain that to me again and he's like sitting there like yeah i i appreciate you i appreciate you calming down okay we're here in michigan he doesn't know what he's talking about you don't know it's a majority you know he starts like going off in his teddy atlas shit and it's like holy shit bro it was an incredible spectacle but then afterward it was like in a lot of people's eyes emmanuel augustus lost the goodwill for testing positive for for herb even though obviously now years later we know like who gives a shit and test the pot who fucking cares Mm -hmm. but even so it was (laughs) 
It was bad. Nah, dude. It was, you know, that was just the laundry list of things that Augustus had to go through in his career, man. He that was just one fight, you know? That was just, that one, was just fight, one fight. And I'm not sure if I would, like, agree completely with the notion that other people, the narrative that others have gone with that, oh, oh, if Augustus had a fair shake or if he had the right manager in his career, he would have been a pound pound fighter. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure because honestly, I think he, even if he had the right management, he still would have done the same, you know, stick in theatrics that he would have done during his fights that he did even with his bad, you know, with his record. Like he is who he was, you know what I mean? Whether he was going to have good management or not, or like, you know, people looking out for his career. Um, the thing is though, he was one of the, one of those fighters that with the record that he did, he was able to make it that people still respected him and looked upon him as like a fringe contender, if not right, outright contender, you know, gatekeeper type, because they knew of his skills and they knew what he could possess and everything like that. And he became one of the favorites of Friday Night Fights because of it. Like he, he still made a very, very solid career out of his way, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Like I got to witness it one, live once, you know, um, at MSG on the undercard of, um, Roy Jones, uh, Kalzaki. He fought a, a local fighter by the name of uh, Frankie Figueroa, Francisco Figueroa. And Figueroa was popular in the, in the area and stuff like that. Like I was still training with CompuBox at that point, but I was lucky enough to be ringside for that fight to train for it. The luxury of living in New York. So um, I'm watching it and it wasn't, it wasn't a very exciting fight. Like Augustus was a little bit past it at that point, but he still, you know, was doing his thing. And there was like a lull in the action. I'm going to say it was around like round four or something like that, right? All of a sudden, Augustus started doing his little Tekken drunken master shit that he would always talk about that he would do. He started like moving around and started doing it. And you would hear, you heard the crowd audibly just like grow. They went, oh, yes. They just went, oh, like slowly they started going, oh, like because they saw him moving. And then Figueroa stopped and started doing a little jig himself. He like cut a rug himself <laughs> against him, like saying, like, what are you trying to do against me? And the, and the car, like ate, the entire MSG ate it up. And it was pretty awesome to see that because I had only watched at that point, see him do that on Friday night fights for the most part. And, you know, a couple of fights here and there. So to see him do a live ringside and to see like the way he subtly did it, like he's just moving and stopped and you see he went boom. He moved back once, then boom, he moved back the other way. And then you see his legs move and his arms move. I was like, oh shit, he's starting. <laughs> and like the crowd picked on that on too. And like the way they slowly built it up, it was so cool to see. It was definitely a very peculiar like rhythm and kind of yeah. thing that like, I mean, against I think the the average world class fighter, they were not gonna get taken in by it. Then they would just be like, no. And they just shut oh, it down man. with like a jab or something. But for a lot of the fighters that he would be fighting on that kind of Friday night fights level, it was kind of like hit or miss. You know, if they if they didn't know what was what, they were they could totally be absolutely charmed by it and then lose a decision and just kind of get popped to get death for a few rounds. But yeah. And he was also just tough as nails, man. Like that's true. It wasn't it wasn't just like his gimmick of him like making a show of a fight and like putting on theatrics. When it came down to it, that dude, look at his fight with Mickey Ward. His fight with Mickey Ward is will go down as maybe the best fight in Friday Night Fights history, if not the best. Great right? fight. Totally. Yeah. And that showed his toughness right there, man. Most guys would have like been overwhelmed by what they had to go through from Ward, especially taking the body shots. 
And not only did Augustus take it, he gave it back equally and made an incredible fight. Um, for years, Floyd Mayweather said that Augustus was his, was his toughest opponent. He might still say that today. I don't know. Um, yeah. you I know, think okay. it's probably a little overblown, at least in terms of the timing. Cause I remember he first said that like a long time ago, like Ooh, 2006 or some shit like that. Somebody asked him. I don't think that. that was his toughest, but, but I mean, I, I fight, would believe be it in terms so of like, go through all of it, but yeah. like stylistically. Yeah. It was definitely a, a bear for, a, it, it was a tough fight. You know, he, he wound up having to, uh, Augustus knew how to smother him, knew how to get him to the ropes and keep him there. And I think that Mayweather had not to that point experienced a fighter that could like dictate and where he the bloodied fight. his face up. He bloodied his nose and gave him. A yeah. Rough. He caught him plenty. It's just, he wasn't really winning most of those rounds, but he caught him, you know? No, and it was, it was one of those fights that like you, you've seen fights either was involving like i'll give you a couple of examples um examples examples like melger taylor um in some of his fights where they would be one-sided but they still be competitive or like roy jones where they're completely one-sided but they're still competitive like early on in his career that's what kind of that fight with mayweather was but give augustus credit for how his record looked at that point because it was already an ugly record that he was able to secure that fight with Mayweather on HBO. It was KO Nation, but still. Yep, I was going to say that was like, the KO Nation years. But yeah, yeah, but still, they were able to like green light that and say, yeah, that's a because Mayweather was already a champion. He was like a dominant junior lightweight champion, and most people would look at Augustus' record of people that don't know who he is or you think twice about it. Be like, I'm not going to support. I'm not, I'm not going to green light this fight. It's going to be a massacre. And instead, it was one of the best, if not the best. Um, one of the best fights KO Nation produced, probably up there with uh, Layman Brewster against um, Clifford ATN. But yeah, like it was, was really, a, was really, really good fight. So, yeah, man, I could see that. Augustus was that dude, you know. He uh, produced tons of um, tons of moments. He overcame that unfortunate incident where he got shot, and it looked like you know you're not sure what's going to happen to him, but yeah. You know, incredible story, man. They got to do a documentary, if not a movie, something on this guy. Have to be done. Yeah, and especially with his kind of like fan favorite. Uh, he's like, I, I'm obviously not comparing him in terms of stature or pop popularity, like mm -hmm. accomplishments. But it's almost like how Marvin Hagler has just gotten massive over the last handful of years or, you know. And again, I'm not saying Yeah, you just have a hardcore audience that loves you and supports you. Yeah. Damn, but totally. every time I post something about Augustus, dude, people are just like, oh, the drunken, you know, people fucking, he's a fan favorite, like type of type of guy. And so if I can find it, I'm going to post a link, you know, on screen or something like that to see if there's some place that, you know, people can go to support him or do something. Oh, they have to be, man. Augustus is one of those guys that just like, he provided so many memories, man. Like you said, what, he, he's the epitome when you have a bad record. And just the one, but you're still really, really skilled and just, you know, just there. And like, he never, he never gave less than hundred percent when he was in there. Like sometimes he goofed around and he would just do enough that like, if he didn't goof enough, you thought he really, really just put more together. He'd be able to edge the decision. But like you saw his skills enough that you knew it wasn't about the record. He's one of the few fighters that was able to transcend and get on the big networks as well as the other networks and always be featured well, yeah. regardless of his record, because they knew his skill set overset that. Well, it's like you it's you can't get both. You can either get the 100% or mm -hmm. you can get them on a week's notice. You can't get both. You can't get him with 100% on a week's notice. Like it doesn't work that way. And that was the fighter he was. 
you know he was the fucking glenn johnson he was the road warrior Holy. type of going to backyards type of that was the line williams the um the uh god it's the darnell boons you yep. know one of, those, one of those type of guys like regardless of the record you know that even if they have a bad record they're not going to get blown out in a round or two they're going to give you rounds they're going to go the distance they're going to make a competitive fight they're going to do what you need to do to give them like what they're looking for yep yeah definitely definite uh credit to him at least in terms of being a very i love augustus i wish i could be a fighter credit. yeah and a, and a guy that's easy to like and so you know, anybody listen man anybody that takes the video game tekken and takes part of that <laughs> game and like incorporates it into their style it makes me an instant fan because i absolutely love tekken as a kid i was a tekken 2 guy but i was a tekken i liked tech the, the tekken series overall no I'm totally sure totally who's your favorite character uh dude i mean i i remember the first fucking time i ever i ever played uh uh not tekken but the like the tekken ripoff virtual fighter virtual fighter was a badass game too hell yeah but what was the dude who was the um the dark haired dude because there was like the almost kind of like street fighter they had like the two main guys but then there was like the whole cast of characters are you talking about virtual fighter or tekken i'm sorry i'm back to tekken tekken okay. i can't remember their names dude it's been a long no, time no I, I know which one you're talking about i know which one you're talking about the guy that wore like the white key right yes yeah the dude yeah, who, yeah, oh, yeah, he yeah, almost yeah, looked yeah, like yeah. ryu or whatever yes yeah yeah he was a bad motherfucker yeah my favorite guy was um the dude who did capoeira eddie yeah yeah that was the, yeah that the, guy was with the, with the dreadlocks yeah dude, and then he'd do I, the the little like dive after he won yeah yeah it. yeah i'm not gonna lie bro yo i used to whoop everybody's ass at the arcade because i was i used to cheat all i would do was press the two buttons that would make him kick over and over and like he would just do the capoeira kicks on everybody and you could it was like almost <laughs> impossible kind of like when e honda would just do the hand movement and street fighter it's almost like impossible and if you got it going fast enough like you couldn't escape it you couldn't escape it same thing so like bro i was <laughs> i was like 12 years old beating college kids at the arcade with oh, they're just, all i would do well they're I just do pumping quarters into that shit and getting pumping quarters and i would press the two same buttons over and over and just bonnet you know remember the movie only the strong yes yeah i would bond on away those motherfuckers left and right just boom boom boom, boom. <laughs> yeah yeah i remember that shit and see oh, now now how you know this is how you know this is a 420 episode because we went from fucking fighters who smoked herb to goddamn only the strong survived with mark Descascos from <laughs> fucking top chef wowzers or whatever battle chef chef arena you know what i'm talking about holy shit all right we got a couple of shout outs though because there were some uh there were some like honorable mentions of fighters who either didn't test positive or we just didn't get to them for whatever reason. One guy and uh, one guy who talked about smoking herb and I think did get caught at one point was Kasim Uma. And I always liked Kasim Uma. That dude was a fun guy to fun guy to watch for much of his career too. And ha also had a really good story and HBO did a great, uh, great like documentary. I'm pretty sure it was an H HBO sports documentary on his life. Uh, just a ridiculous story but um yeah kasim uma that's one another kind of honorable mention shannon briggs one of the more kind of like recent 
uh, fighters that's obviously very visible for obvious reasons because he has his own line of herb and another a, a couple other fighters have kind of like gone in that direction too. Um, but yeah, there's been a number of fighters who have, <laughs> I guess, on uh, the amateur level, believe it or not, too, tested positive for marijuana here. Sorry, I navigated away, but let me go back. Evan Medcalf, who is an Irish amateur boxer, tested positive after winning the Irish amateur championships in 2018. He said he was so drunk 72 hours before the fight that he didn't remember smoking herb. So kudos to him. Kirkland Lang, uh, he once told a story about denying having smoked while he went into the Royal Oak Gym in London where he trained and then someone pointed out that he had a joint behind his ear. And he's like, oh shit, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Charles Hatley, good old Charles Hatley, was pulled over for driving a Jaguar with no plates and had punching bags stuffed with weed in 2011. And Hatley was an amateur standout. He lost uh, Keith Thurman and Demetrius Andre in the Olympics trials for the 2008 Olympics, for instance. So I thought that that was a good enough story. Oh, no, no, but Charles Hatley has to be mentioned for one of, one of my more favorite moments of recent times when he walked into the ring to challenge the wrong Charlo brother. Yeah. <laughs> he walks into the ring. You hear Don King, oh, yeah, we here now. Or something like something that didn't matter, like this is 1982. And then he shoves, and Charlo's like, Man, who the hell are you? <laughs> and then you find out it's the wrong bro he was trying to pick a fight with. Oh, Jesus, dude. I mean, look, dude, I have trouble telling them apart too, but you're the fighter. You're supposed to know. Tell me not. Like, how funny was that? You remember that scene, right? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Jesus, man. It was well, the wrong Charlo brother he, tried, he picked the fight with. <laughs> Well, if, if this episode has proved anything, it's that, you know, some of the folks that we have talked about are some great people, but perhaps not the most prudent. Perhaps not the most prudent. Okay. That's all I'm saying. But man, this dude, is a fun one. This is a yeah, lot. dude, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, uh, you know, doing this episode with me and absolutely struggling to remember anything at all through it because of the obvious subject matter. <laughs> not dude, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, everybody who uh, tuned in, man, go smoke. I don't know what you're doing, number one. But number two, if you listened in via podcast, I'd love it if you subscribed and left a comment. And also, if you uh, listen in or watched via YouTube, please do subscribe. Leave a comment, your favorite part of the episode, ask us a question, whatever the case may be, down below. Also, if you're on social media, find us on Facebook and Instagram via Knuckles of Gloves. But find us individually, for instance, on Twitter. My dude, Eris Pina, is on Twitter as PunchZoneEris. Me, I'm Patrick Connor, and I'm also on Twitter as Patrick M. Connor. That's it, dude, Eris. We'll talk soon, my brother. Um, have a good one, everyone. Take it easy, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.